Respiratory physiology. <clears throat> Describe how respiration compensates for acid-base changes. Formula is CO2 plus water to H2CO3 to H plus HCO3 as a rapid responder. So the respiratory receptor responds to H plus mainly at the peripheral chemoreceptors, um, but H plus is also transferred to the CSF via CO2. So in a metabolic acidosis, there'll be an increase in ventilation and a decrease in CO2 to blow off CO2 to reduce the acidity. Therefore, you're going to decrease H plus and decrease HCO3, i.e. develop a base deficit. In a metabolic alkalosis, you'll decrease ventilation, which will increase the CO2, which will increase the H plus, increase HCO3, therefore have a base excess. In reality, there is often no compensation. What clinical conditions might you expect to cause metabolic acidosis? So that's things like DKA, hypoxia, to lactic acidosis. Or, and what, might, what clinical conditions might you expect to cause metabolic alkalosis, um, i.e. during vomiting and loss of acid? Airways resistance. Describe the factors affecting airway resistance. So in laminar flow, resistance is proportional to the length of the tube and the viscosity, and inversely proportional to the fourth power of the radius of the tube. Poiseuille's law equals resistance equals 8 times length times viscosity divided by n times radius to the power of 4. Turbulent flow is most likely to occur at high Reynolds number, that is, when inertial forces dominate over viscous forces. Remembering that Reynolds number equals density times diameter times velocity divided by viscosity. So Reynolds number equals density times diameter times velocity divided by viscosity. Turbulence is highest in the medium-sized bronchi and lowest in the very small airways. Airway resistance decreases as lung volume rises because the airways are then pulled open by radial traction. Bronchial smooth muscle is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. Stimulation of beta-adrenergic receptors causes bronchodilation. Reduced alveolar PCO2 causes increased resistance. Bonus, defined dynamic airway compression and its effects on flow. So intrapleural pressure becomes greater than the alveolar pressure causing airway compression. And dynamic compression of airways limits airflow during forced expiration. What factors are impact on resistance in the airways? So one, size of the airway. So the resistance is highest in the medium-sized bronchi and low in the very small airways. Lung volume. Resistance decreases with expansion as the airways are pulled open. Bronchial smooth muscle tone, controlled by the beta sympathetics. Gas density, e.g. 
Heliox has a low resistance and forced expiration, so dynamic compression will increase the resistance. What factors cause turbulent flow in airways expressed by Reynolds number? Reynolds number equals the fluid density times the diameter of the tube times the velocity of the flow divided by the viscosity. So laminar flow occurs only in the small airways. Most areas have transitional flow and it's turbulent in the trachea. So laminar flow only in the small airways. And remember that flow resistance equals 8 times viscosity times length divided by pi r4. So resistance is directly proportional to viscosity and length and inversely proportional to radius to the power of 4. So if you halve the radius, you increase the resistance by 16 fold. What factors affect the airway of the radius? Bronchial smooth muscle tone, so that's dependent on sympathetic parasympathetic activity, and two, the lung volume. What are the initial physiological responses at high altitude? So initially you'll get hyperventilation, um, so that you'll be decreasing your CO2 greater than your O2. You'll then develop a respiratory alkalosis, which is limited by movement of bicarbonate from the central nervous system, which takes one to two days, and renal excretion of bicarbonate. Later, you'll get an increased 2,3 DPG, which causes a right shift of the oxygen haemoglobin dissociation curve. Later, there'll be a left shift of the oxygen haemoglobin due to the alkalosis. Alveolar hypoxia induces pulmonary vasoconstriction and later pulmonary hypertension. And you develop a decreased work of breathing. So what are the so hyperventilation, alkalosis, increased 2,3 DPG with a right shift of the haemoglobin oxygen curve and then later a left shift. Alveolar hypoxia causing pulmonary vasoconstriction, then pulmonary hypertension, and decreased work of breathing. What are the longer-term physiologic effects of altitude exposure? So you get polycythemia, secondary to increased EPO, increased viscosity of blood, increased oxygen carriage, pulmonary hypertension, which can result in right ventricular hypertrophy, more capillaries, increased oxidative enzymes, and increased altitude sickness from West Respiratory Physiology. Um, so at high altitude, the barometric pressure decreases with the distance above the Earth's surface in approximately an exponential manner. Um, so at the summit of Mount Everest, the inspired PO2 is only about 43 millimetres of mercury. The most important feature of acclimatization to high altitude is hyperventilation. So its physiological value can be seen by um, if if you work out the alveolar gas equation for a climate climate on the summit of Mount Everest. So if the climber's alveolar PCO2 was 40 and you've got a respiratory exchange ratio of 1, 
then the alveolar PO2 would be um, the it would be the PO2 which would be 43 minus the respiratory exchange ratio so if you make that 40 divided by 1 so 43 minus 40 equals 3 milligrams millimeters of mercury however if you increase the ventilation fivefold and you make the PCO2 just 8 then it's 43 minus 8 which is 35 millimeters of mercury of alveolar oxygen of alveolar PO2 um, so the mechanism of the hyperventilation is hypoxic stimulation of the peripheral chemoreceptors. This results in a low arterial PCO2 and alkalosis, which both of which tend to inhibit the increase in ventilation. But after about a day or so, the CSF pH is brought back towards normal by the movement of bicarb out of the CSF. And then after two or three days, the pH of the arterial blood also returns back towards normal because of renal excretion of bicarb. These breaks on ventilation, i.e. the low arterial PCO2 and alkalosis, are then um, reduced, and so therefore the ventilation increases further. So... In addition, there's also evidence that the sensitivity of the carotid bodies to hypoxia increased during acclimatisation. Um, another adaptive mechanism of the hyperventilation is polycythemia. So, um, the resulting rise in haemoglobin concentration and oxygen carrying capacity means that even though the PO2 and O2 saturations are both diminished, the actual oxygen concentration in the blood may be normal or even above normal. So um, the polycythemia also tends to maintain the PO2 of the mixed venous blood. Hypoxemia, again, is the primary stimulus um, for this process, so it increases red blood cell production by stimulating EPO from release from the kidney within two to three days, which then acts on the bone marrow to stimulate increased activity. Um, the hematocrit will usually rise even before these effects take place, usually due to the reduction in plasma volume. And polycythemia is also seen in many patients with chronic hypoxemia caused by the lung or heart disease. So although the polycythemia increases the oxygen-carrying capacity of the blood, it also makes the blood more, um, increases the viscosity, which can be deleterious. Um, other adaptations that occur is that there's initially a rightward shift of the oxygen dissociation curve at moderate altitudes that results in better offloading of oxygen and venous tissues for any given partial pressure of oxygen however um, and and the underlying cause for this is an increase in the concentration of 2,3-DPG which developed because of the respiratory alkalosis but at higher altitudes there's actually a leftward shift of the dissociation curve caused by the respiratory alkalosis um, which assists with loading of oxygen in the pulmonary capillaries. Furthermore, the number of capillaries per volume in the peripheral tissues increases, 
and you can actually have changes that occur within the oxidative enzymes in the cell. The breathing capacity increases because the air is less dense. Um, and then finally you get pulmonary vasoconstriction, which can result in pulmonary hypertension and right ventricular hypertrophy. The pulmonary hypertension is sometimes associated with pulmonary edema, although the pulmonary venous pressure is normal. And the edema has a high protein concentration, indicating that the permeability of the, capillary, the capillaries is increased. So the signs and symptoms of acute mountain sickness include headache, fatigue, dizziness, palpitations, insomnia, loss of appetite and nausea. Um, and that's attributed to the hypoxemia and alkalosis. And then longer term, you can get chronic mountain sickness, which is um, characterised by polycythemia, fatigue, reduced exercise tolerance and severe hypoxemia. So in summary, acclimatisation to high altitude, the most important feature is hyperventilation. Polycythemia is slow to develop, but over time it can raise the arterial oxygen concentration substantially. Um, other features include increases in cellular oxidative enzymes and the concentration of capillaries in some tissues. And hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction is not beneficial at high altitudes. And just a quick note on decompression sickness. Decompression sickness is caused by the formation of N2 bubbles during the ascent from a deep dive. It might result in pain, in brackets bends, and neurological disturbances. It can be prevented by a slow and staged ascent, and treatment is recompression in a chamber. And the incidence is also reduced by breathing a mixed helium-oxygen mixture. Describe the effect of high altitude on respiration. So hyperventilation is the most important factor in acclimatization to altitude to reduce the CO2 and improve the O2. The mechanism is via hypoxic stimulation of the peripheral chemoreceptors, i.e. the carotid bodies and aortic bodies. The low PCO2 and alkalosis work against this, but CSF pH is normalised by the movement of bicarb out of the CSF in 1-2 to two days, and the, and the arteriolar PO2, um, oh, pH is normalised by renal excretion of bicarbonate, which takes 2-3 to three days taking this break off. Therefore, the sensitivity of the carotid bodies to hypoxia increases during acclimatisation and further increases in ventilation can be seen. What other processes are involved in acclimatisation to high altitude? So polythysemia, secondary to hypoxia and EPO stimulation, stimulating the bone marrow, shifts the oxygen dissociation curve rightward at moderate altitude, secondary to 2-3 DPG favouring the unloading of oxygen and tissues, and left at high altitude, secondary to respiratory alkalosis favouring loading of oxygen in the lungs. You also get changes in capillary numbers and density, and changes to the oxidative enzymes in cells, and an increased maximum breathing capacity. What is the alveolar gas equation. So PaO2 equals PiO2 minus PaCO2 divided by R. 
So the alveolar oxygen partial pressure equals the partial pressure of oxygen in inspired air minus the alveolar CO2 partial pressure divided by the respiratory quotient, which is usually 0.8. And you also can have plus minus F, which is a correction factor of two factor of two millimeters of mercury. So P the AA gradient is the difference between the P capital AO2 for alveolar minus the PA little case O2 which is arterial and the significance of uh, increased AA gradient is suggestion of a VQ mismatch i.e. through shunting or dead space. So the alveolar gas equation is alveolar partial pressure of oxygen minus the partial pressure of oxygen and inspired I mean equals the partial pressure of oxygen and inspired air minus the partial pressure of alveolar CO2 divided by the respiratory quotient. What is the role of the chemoreceptors in ventilation? So the chemoreceptors are located near the ventral surface of the medulla. Um, a rise in blood CO2 increases the CO2 in the CSF. The CSF has a poor buffering capacity, so the pH will change rapidly. Liberated H plus ions stimulate the chemoreceptors and then efferents stimulate the medullary respiratory centre to increase ventilation and return CO2 to normal. Chronic CO2 elevation gives a normal CSF pH and insensitivity. Um, and... What is the role of the peripheral chemoreceptors? So the peripheral chemoreceptors are located in the carotid and aortic bodies and have a high flow. They respond mostly to the decrease in oxygen below 100 millimetres of mercury and then impulses are transmitted to the respiratory centre to increase ventilation and they are responsible for all ventilatory response to hypoxemia. They're also responsible for a small but rapid response to the rise in CO2 and the decrease in pH. How is carbon dioxide transported in the blood? Carbon dioxide can be just transported via diffusion, carbamino proteins and CO2 to bicarbonate buffering. What is the most important mechanism? So bicarbonate will buffer between 60 and 90% of the needed CO2. Carbamino proteins will buffer between 5 and 30%. Um, diffusion will buffer 5 to 10%. So bicarbonate in the arterial system is up to 90%. What is the role of red blood cells in carbon dioxide transport? Carbonic anhydrase is only found significantly in red cells, the major buffer for CO2 and hydrogen ions. Two, there's the Haldane effect, so hemoglobin, particularly deoxygenated, 
deoxygenated hemoglobin is also a major hydrogen ion buffering system allowing faster H plus slash HCO3 dissociation and three the chloride shift so allowing 70% of bicarbonate diffusion into the plasma maintaining the ionic neutrality and enhanced diffusion this is mediated by the band 3 chloride transporter in the red blood cell membrane and finally hemoglobin protein is the major carbamino protein uh, and it is better when it is deoxygenated hemoglobin as it's more got a more negative charge the oxygen dissociation curve the shape of the oxygen dissociation curve has unique advantages the upper aspect being flat allows for optimal oxygen loading even if the partial pressure of oxygen is slightly increased or decreased the steep lower part of the curve allows a large amount of oxygen offloading for only a small change in partial pressure of oxygen which means that the gradient between the arteriolar po2 and tissue po2 remains present to help with the offloading as a side note note that cyanosis is not well seen in an anemic patient as overall hemoglobin is low the effect of carbon dioxide on shifting the oxygen dissociation curve is known as the Bohr effect and is largely due to the change in pH associated with changes in CO2 2,3 DPG also affects the curve. Increases in DPG will improve oxygen offloading as at high altitude. 2,3 DPG is an end product of red cell metabolism. It's increased in hypoxic conditions such as high altitude or chronic lung disease to facilitate oxygen offloading. The P50 is the saturation of oxygen at a partial... At this, the saturation of oxygen at 50%. Usually the partial pressure of oxygen at this point is around 26. At tissue level PO2, 40 millimetres of mercury, the saturation is about 75%. Carboxyhemoglobin has approximately 240 times the affinity of oxygen. Small amounts of CO2 can type a large portion of the haemoglobin in the blood. Or carbon monoxide. If carbon monoxide finds, forms, the haemoglobin and PO2 in the blood may be normal, but O2 concentration is greatly reduced. Carboxyhemoglobin also shifts the oxygen dissociation curve to the left, making O2 offloading easier or worse. Yeah, so carboxyhemoglobin also shifts the oxygen dissociation curve to the left, making oxygen offloading worse. Carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is carried in the blood in three forms, dissociated as bicarbonate and in combination with proteins as carboamino compounds. It's a whole bunch more soluble than oxygen. About 10% that gets to the lungs is in the dissolved form. So CO2 carriage. Um, 
bicarbonate. So one way of carrying carbon dioxide is dissolved, i.e. diffusion. Next is bicarb formation. So CO2 plus water is formed into H2CO3 via carbonic anhydrase. And then this is in flux with hydrogen ion plus HCO3. And note that HCO3 can move easily out of the cell, but hydrogen ion can't, so chloride will move into the cell. Um, and then that will bind the haemoglobin. And then the hydrogen ion will bind the haemoglobin. This reaction, CO2 plus H2O to H2CO3 to H plus HCO3, happens slow in the plasma and fast in the red blood cell. So the Haldane effect is that deoxygenation of blood increases its ability to carry CO2. H plus plus HBO H plus plus HBO two is in flux with H plus HB plus O two. So H plus plus HBO two is in flux with H HB plus O two. So more hydrogen ions can bind to de deoxygenated haemoglobin because it's less acidic. So a better protein receptor. Deoxygenated haemoglobin is better for binding haemoglobin. Similarly, the binding of oxygen helps CO2 offloading in the lungs. The osmolar content of the red blood cell is greater in the tissues, so the water content and hence size increases. The osmolar content of the red blood cells is greater in the tissues, so the water content and hence size increases. The reverse, of course, is true at the lungs. So remember that the Haldane effect is that deoxygenation of blood increases its ability to carry CO2. Carboamino compounds, e.g. the protein bound to the amine group of the haemoglobin. So HBNH2 plus CO2 to HBNHCOOH. This results in carbamino haemoglobin. This equation occurs rapidly and doesn't need an enzyme. So in summary, carbon dioxide is carried as dissolved by carbonate or carbamino acid predominantly this means bound haemoglobin it's mainly as bicarb but the portion of carbamino acid increases in the tissue and to a lesser ascent, a lesser degree so does the dissolved portion Reduction of haemoglobin favours more oxygen offloading and CO2 loading. The carbon dioxide dissociation curve is much higher and is moved to the right by the presence
So again, the Haldane effect. Um, the definition of the Haldane effect is that deoxygenated blood can carry increasing amounts of carbon dioxide, whereas oxygenated blood has a reduced carbon dioxide capacity. The Haldane effect describes the effect of oxygen on carbon dioxide transport. The Haldane effect, along with the Bohr effect, facilitates the release of oxygen at the tissues and the uptake of oxygen at the lungs. It's represented by a right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve and a left shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, respectively. The Haldane effect results from the fact that the deoxygenated haemoglobin has a higher affinity for carbon dioxide than does oxyhemoglobin. Deoxygenated haemoglobin has a higher affinity for CO2 because it's a better proton acceptor than oxygenated haemoglobin. Therefore, when haemoglobin is deoxygenated, i.e. at the tissues, there's a rightward shift of the carbonic acid bicarbonate buffer equation to produce hydrogen ions, which in turn increases the amount of CO2, which can then be carried by the blood back to the lungs to be exhaled. Then, when oxygenation increases at the lungs, CO2 dissociates more, ready, more readily from haemoglobin. In the end, the Haldane effect allows for approximately 50% of the CO2 excreted by the lungs and physiologically is more important than its reciprocal counterpart, the Bohr effect, i.e. the effect of carbon dioxide on oxygen transport. So the following general equation is that of the Haldane effect. Hydrogen ion plus carboxy uh, plus oxygenated haemoglobin um, in flux with hydrogen ion plus haemoglobin plus O2. The Bohr effect refers to the shift in the oxygen dissociation curve caused by changes in the concentration of carbon dioxide or the pH of the environment. Since carbon dioxide reacts with water to form carbonic acid, an increase in CO2 results from a decrease in blood pH, resulting in haemoglobin proteins releasing their load of oxygen. Conversely, a decrease in carbon dioxide provokes an increase in pH, which, which results in carbon dioxide picking up more blood. The Bohr effect increases the efficiency of oxygen transport in the blood. After haemoglobin binds to oxygen in the lungs due to the high oxygen concentrations, the Bohr effect facilitates its release in the tissues, particularly those tissues at most at need of oxygen. Carbon dioxide affects the curve in two ways. First, it influences intracellular pH, known as the Bohr effect, and second, CO2 accum accumulation causes carboamino compounds to be generated through chemical reactions. Increasing CO2 has the effect of shifting the curve to the right and decreasing shifts to the left. A decrease in pH shifts the curve to the right, while an increase shifts the curve to the left. This is known as the Bohr effect. 
how is CO2 carried in the blood? So CO2 is carried in three forms. One, dissolved, which accounts for 5 to 10%. Two, as bicarbonate, which accounts for 60 to 90%. And three, <coughs> combined with proteins as carboamino compounds, which accounts for 5 to 10%. Two, how is bicarbonate formed in the blood? So CO2 plus H2O, um, then via carbonic anhydrase becomes H2CO3, which becomes H plus plus HCO3. The first reaction, CO2 and water to H2CO3, is very slow in plasma, but fast within the red blood cell because of the presence of the enzyme carbonic anhydrase. The second reaction, ionic dissociation, is fast even without an enzyme. What is the chloride shift? So HCO3 diffuses easily out of the cell, but hydrogen ions can't because the cell membrane is relatively impermeable to cations. Therefore, to maintain cell neutrality, chloride diffuses from the plasma into the cell. What is the Haldane effect? So hydrogen plus HBO2 um, then becomes hydrogen plus Hb plus O2. So the Haldane effect is that deoxygenated haemoglobin binds more hydrogen ions than oxygenated haemoglobin does and forms carboamino compounds more readily. So deoxygenated haemoglobin binds more hydrogen ions than does oxygen oxygenated haemoglobin and forms carboamino compounds more readily. Binding of oxygen to the haemoglobin reduces its affinity for carbon dioxide. The function of this is that one, this enhances the removal of carbon dioxide from oxygen consuming tissues, i.e. muscles, into the blood. CO2 can bind to the amino groups on the haemoglobin to form carbamino haemoglobin. Carbamino haemoglobin is the major contributor to the Haldane effect. And then secondarily, it promotes the dissociation of CO2 from haemoglobin in the presence of oxygen, i.e. in the lungs, which is vital for alveolar gas exchange. What is pulmonary compliance? So compliance equals volume change divided by pressure change. So it's maximal and mid-inspiration and lower at the extremes. Approximately 200 mils per centimetre of water. What factors increase or decrease pulmonary compliance? So factors which decrease pulmonary compliance include alveolar edema, pulmonary fibrosis, pulmonary venous hypertension and an unventilated lung. Alveolar edema, pulmonary fibrosis pulmonary venous hypertension in an unventilated lung. It is increased via age and emphysema. So remember that it's the volume change divided by the pressure change. So it's inverse, compliance is inversely proportional to pressure and directly proportional to volume change. Um, what are the physiological effects of surfactant in the lung. So it acts to increase compliance, reduce work of breathing, improve the stability of the alveoli and to keep the alveoli dry. So compliance depends on lung volumes and demonstrates hysteresis. Um, 
so that at increased compliance at low volumes depends on structural proteins and surface tension. So factors which decrease compliance include fibrosis, pulmonary edema, an unventilated lung and increased pulmonary venous pressure. It's increased by emphysema, asthma, surfactant, age.